0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is The Ziegler Show, where our goal is to inspire your true performance. In this episode, how to treat difficult or insignificant people. How we treat people has a direct, immediate, and long-term impact on us just as much or more as what we eat, for instance. If you live on fast food and you're going to end up looking and feeling like a milkshake, well, treating difficult people like they deserve And how you treat random people you come into contact with in a life who may be seemingly insignificant can slowly poison you uh, depending on your attitude especially. Most people will testify to treating all people well all the time no matter what but few of us truly do and minimizing the issue is just a disservice to us which is why we bring this issue up and into this show. So in this episode I play about a four and a half minute clip from Zig Ziglar about how we treat people what it says about us and what it does to us and then I posted this question to the Ziglar audience. Are there people in your life who you struggle to treat as you would want to be treated, whether close relationships or even people you infrequently encounter and have to interact with? Most of the responses really address the the difficult people in our lives, the more intimate relationships. Uh, But I brought Tom Ziegler on the show to talk through all the comments, and we started off discussing the what I called insignificant people that Zig references. Now, of course, they're not. I don't think any of us would say they're really insignificant, but it's the people that you just meet, interact with here and there at the restaurant, at the grocery store, whatever, that you may not give a lot of effort to engage with. Uh, So if you think think that you treat everyone well and are not affected by this issue, I challenge you to listen in. This is for our all of our direct benefit. So we'll get started right after I share some great products and services with you.
1: A few years ago here in Dallas, I was speaking at a, uh, an insurance company banquet uh two vice presidents and I were seated uh, at the head table I was in the center there were three other uh, executives of the company over on this side the lady who uh was waiting on us when she brought us the salad I just kind of smiled and said thank you a few minutes later she poured the coffee and I said thank you a few minutes later uh, she served the entree And I said, you know, I'm just astonished that you're doing this so quickly, and yet you do not seem to be in a hurry. And you're so pleasant to the people around you. She said, well, thank you very much. I appreciate you saying that. Well, the two vice presidents, when their coffee was poured, their salad was served, the entree was delivered, they didn't even grunt. They didn't say anything. And finally, it came dessert time. Now, the dessert was a chocolate sundae. In a nutshell, that chocolate sundae was a scoop of ice cream with some chocolate syrup poured on it. I exaggerate not one iota when I tell you that those two vice presidents got a scoop of ice cream about the size of a golf ball. My scoop of ice cream was bigger than my fist. I mean, uh, the chocolate syrup was running all down the (laughs) sides. And they said, well, Zeke, you obviously know this lady. And I said, no, I don't know her, but I sure know a lot about her. And they said, oh, how do you know that? And I said, well, I recognized right away she was a human being. And there is isn't a human being alive who does not genuinely appreciate a courteous, enthusiastic individual who appreciates the effort that they were rendering? Now, don't misunderstand, I wasn't doing all that trying to get more ice cream. That's not the deal. I don't eat much ice cream. I found out a few years ago my body actually retains ice cream. So uh, that wasn't, you know, that was not my objective. But again, uh, it just simply says that you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Story is told of a fellow who was giving uh, a tour of heaven and hell, so he can make a decision as to how he wants to live so he can choose where he wants to go, what he wants to believe, so he'll know where he's going to end up. Well, he goes to hell first. And there they had a banquet table set out that absolutely was unbelievable. It was a block long. Had every delicacy the world has to offer, all the fresh fruits and vegetables and meats and sweets. I mean, the whole schmear. The people seated there at that banquet table... Uh, he noticed they were just sitting there, they're half starved. No smiles on their face, no laughter, no gaiety, no nothing. Then they took him over to heaven. And in heaven, they had exactly the same menu. I mean, every imaginable thing. But here the people were laughing and joking. They were well-nourished. They were having a marvelous time. They were singing. It was a wonderful place to be. And the bishop said, I don't understand. You got exactly the same menu, but in one place they're happy, and in another place they're miserable. What's the difference? And uh, the guy said, well, had you looked carefully you would have noticed that a three-foot fork and a three-foot knife is attached to the arms of each person in each person's place. Now, in hell, each person was trying to feed themselves and could not. But in heaven, they simply were feeding the person directly across from them. You know what I believe? I believe that's more than a parable. I believe that's life. See, in this life of ours, we live with an awful lot of people, our ability to get along with them to a large degree determines just how happy we're going to be. If you'll check the records, you'll discover that regardless of how everything else is going, if you're not getting along well with the people who are important to you, you're not a very happy camper. Then if you look at it in the other direction, I don't care how badly things are going in every area of your life, if you're really getting along well with the people who are important to you, overall, you basically are a pretty happy fellow. As I said in another recording, psychologist Les Carter said that 100% of all of his counseling is because of relationships problems. Either between husband and wife, brother, sister, parent, child, neighbors, or whatever, there's where the counseling comes in because of difficulties There. I believe that winning relationships are built on trust, respect, and genuine interest in the other person.
0: Well, Tom, I titled, you know, the show, uh, how to treat difficult or insignificant people. Uh, most, actually all of the responses that we're going to start reading through really dealt with the difficult relationships, the people that you've had a somewhat intimate relationship with at work, business partners. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot of spouses necessarily, but, you know, kind of those ones that you really are dealing with on a consistent basis or you had a big run in with. And they didn't necessarily address, and I just will have to assume that my question didn't pull that out of people, didn't address what your dad talked about in the clip that we played about the, you know, in essence, a waitress and how he really invested in that person's life. So before we dig into the questions, I wanted to hit on that. And of course, I titled this how to deal with the insignificant people. And I'm relating that to the people who aren't necessarily, it's not a relationship you have. It's just somebody you're encountering in life. And of course, we would all say, oh, they're not insignificant, but how do we really treat them? And I'm sure that you have seen uh, for better and worse you know, incredible people in essence, who, when it came down to it at the restaurant or in the hotel or whatever, didn't treat those insignificant people well, or, and, or, you know, people who they didn't treat them poorly, but just didn't recognize them a whole lot. And I don't know what your own experience is. I know that even with this mindset that I think I have, there are times when I don't at least take the time to address that person who's right there with me taking care of me uh well you get you get the idea um, right i know you've seen the good and bad of it
2: yeah i'll i'll just start off by two great stories um, of doing it right i used to say uh well i tell people i was weaned at luby's cafeteria and <laughs> if, if you're southern you're from texas or in the area luby's is a cafeteria you go down the line the server gives you food it is it's it was a much bigger deal 30 years ago than it is now um and so i was waiting there so when i was 10 11 12 13 years old uh, mom would say it's dinner time and i'd go get in the car you know because i (laughs) I knew we were going to louvies and i'd say i learned everything i needed to learn in the cafeteria line and it's because i would dad would give a motivational speech to every one of the servers in the line. It was unbelievable. And they would pile the food on his plate. And to the point where he'd be like, that's enough. No more. You know, everybody else would get there with whatever the portion size was. And dad would have 50% more (laughs) Then mom. When we walk in, she'd hug the cashier. She would hug the, they used to have these tea carts that they would drive around and, and, bring it to your table and fill up your ice tea. She'd hug those ladies. And so when we say, you know, these were the, they were there to serve. And so I, the dad always made a beeline a point to look at whoever was in the room in that kind of like that, that most, you know, basic position and give them the most attention. Yeah. Well then later uh, dad was speaking and and this was after Gosh, this was when Peter Lowe was doing the Big Giant Get Motivated seminars, and there was a couple of events when he had Margaret Thatcher on. Uh, he had the Russian leader, what was his name? Uh, hmm. I just I uh, keep thinking wine, you know, the wine stain on his forehead, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, back Perestroika or whatever that was called back when the U.S. and, and hmm. the wall fell and all of that. So they were on the same program together. And they had a dinner. So dad's in a dinner with the Russian leader, Margaret Thatcher and Colin Powell, Peter Lowe. And he comes back. And of course, I knew he was excited about it. And I said, how was the dinner? And this is what he said. He said, you're not going to believe what Colin Powell did. And I go, what do you mean? And he said, well, at the end, we're all taking pictures. And, you know, it's all it's like it's a big deal, right? I mean, it's in this wood. Uh, think of a high, like a Ritz hotel. It's mm-hmm. in a private dining room. There's walnut paneled walls. The waiters uh, have gloves on. They're in tuxedos. I mean, it is a, like a, almost like a state dinner. It could have been right. So he, he, uh, he says uh, when we're taking pictures, Colin Powell looks over and you know, there's a young man there. He was, he was a, a, a be- uh, He was a, a waiter, a bus boy actually at the dinner. And a young African-American kid, probably 18 years old. And Colin Powell looks at him and says, uh, young man, do you want to take a picture? And dad said, this, this, this young man's eyes got really big and he came over. And then he said, young man, uh, let's take a picture, take your gloves off. And so for those of you who don't know, gloves mean that you're in the service role. Right. When you when you take the gloves off, you're an equal. Hmm. And right then and there, I thought that is the definition of leadership. That is the definition of serving those who serve you, because in a blink of an eye, this young man who was overwhelmed by being this was right after Gulf uh, Desert Storm. I, I believe that's the time frame. So here's Colin Powell, one of the most recognizable uh, people in the world, yeah, yeah. a national hero who picks out the, the, the bottom rung of, of, of people in the room serving and gives him confidence and equality and, and a belief all in one simple move. And just, that's what I grew up. And of course, now I get, when I go places, I can't help but judge how people treat other people yeah. based on what I was taught.
0: I, I've, I have made probably some, some judgments too harshly on just that on the person that I'm at a, an event with at a, uh, at dinner with whatever, and how they uh, literally sometimes will treat the staff it's, I don't know if people would even say it's poorly, just insignificantly. You're here to serve me. That's what's expected. I'm not being unkind, but you know, serve me and I'm not going to really notice you otherwise. Now I, Tom, I I am not, uh, as we've talked about, I'm not an extrovert. Um, I don't enjoy, you know, chit chat. And I, if I'm at it somewhere, I'm usually talking in depth with somebody or I'm in my own head either way. Now I have learned because I had the gift that you did, the value and the morality of recognizing those people and just giving them a smile and saying, thank you. Thank you so much. I do that now to go further though, and actively engage them. My wife does that. She does it authentically. She's not even thinking about being altruistic, uh, I'm having to put my altruistic hat on and if I'm going to go further, it's, I'm, I'm making a big effort and I just have to learn to do that. Now it's not to say that we always have to do that. The Holy grail is like you said, giving everybody a motivational speech and hugging them, but to at least recognize them, I think, and I just know that I'm looking at other people and I assume that at least some people are looking at me. How do I treat if a video was taken of me, do I stand, do I stand up to the Ziegler name? How's that? Uh, with my actions to whoever it is. Yeah. The, the bell the, the, the server, the guy at the grocery store bag and groceries, heck the toll booth person, you know, when you're driving, whatever am, are we taking care of those seemingly insignificant people and giving them significance? And I, I, I just want to point that out to people that that's an effort for me. This is not natural. It's still not, uh, I think I've gotten better at the at the reaction to do that. I don't miss it a whole lot, but man, to go further and really engage that person. Well, again, my wife is the one that leads me and we may end up talking 30 minutes with somebody. She's going to know their life story. God bless her. Uh, well, okay. I I wanted to get that in there because again, I don't think we hit it here, but let's, let me hit some of these comments and we're going to get into some, uh, maybe just not more important, but some deeper issues. Travis here. He says, Yes, some of my coworkers aren't always the easiest to get along with. I know that most of the time it's just due to the fact someone's probably been kicking their cat. Folks, if you don't know that story, consummate uh, Zig Ziglar story, I've, I've, I've played the clip in some of the shows before where uh, somebody you know gets upset at work, somebody comes down on them hard, they come down on the next person hard, and they pass it forward until somebody comes home and just kicks the cat for no... Well, there is a reason, but it was way down the line. So Travis here says, I try to be... The line, we're paying it forward, paying that junk forward stops. So now I make a list of everyone that I work with and around. Before work, on my way in, I will read it off and it simply states the person's full name followed by the words so-and-so is important. Simply to remind myself that though we may not always agree, they are still not only human, but we're hired for a reason and have value to offer. Despite what my mind sometimes says, I have realized that I don't actually know everything. And sometimes I need the input of others, even if it seems to be totally different than my way of doing it. Sometimes that's exactly what is needed. Well, Tom, I, right there. It just, what reeks to me right off the bat is just humility. Uh, again, not my natural strong suit to be humble, to consider somebody else. And I love that to just assume that they are there because they have value. And, and even to go further, we could say they're there
2: because God placed them there and trusting that. Yeah. You, you know, um, in, in being a good human, okay. What we want to do is create a relational bond, right? We, we, we want to basically say, I see you. Yeah. I understand what you're going through. And I, and a, a book that I went through recently, and I think it was, uh, Chris Voss never split the difference. And he gave the story about being in the airport and weather delays and he needed to get somewhere. Um, Or maybe he was telling the story of somebody who did. And the person ahead of him was really angry at the gate agent. Yeah. Right. At the ticket agent, just really angry. And so the, when it was his turn, he looked at the person and he said, Kevin, Oh, I'm so sorry you're having to deal with all these wet weather issues and all the people who have been out of shape because of it. Well, guess what happened out of that? There was a bond. Yeah. It was a recognition of what somebody was going through. And the, and like Travis said, the line was drawn in the sand right there. You know, this conversation wasn't going to be that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, and the person just basically said, oh, thank you so much for recognizing, you know, what's going on. I really do want to do my best. I, I, there's nothing I can do about the weather. It's, it's a, you know, if I love that idea, I'm the line.
0: Yeah, 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 my goodness. I'm, I'm going to stop the negativity. It stops with me. It stops with me. Well, here's one, and it's going to relate back to something you said, Tom. Uh, this submission is actually from me. I posted on this one and I said in a similar perspective as the sin of uh, commission and the sin of omission, I struggle in the omission aspect with people. I'm seldom outright disrespectful or or unkind to anyone and I go to to the opposite extreme and try to be kind. But in public and even at home, sometimes I can tend to be focused on myself, my agenda, and I can, one, avoid engaging with someone altogether, or two, in conversation, avoid caring enough to really ask or inquire about them very much. Back to that you know, aspect of engagement. And Tom, I got to tell you this testimonial, and I want other people to hear it. I grew up going to the big seminars like you talked about the Peter Lowe seminars where there's you know 15 30 50,000 people there and these big speakers And as I've talked about on the shows my dad would often get us volunteering at the uh, you know at the tables in the back or outside in the hall where those speakers are then selling their Products and I did that for names that I'm not going to name, big names that are out known there. But I did do it for Zig Zig Ziglar as well, and so I got to see these guys behind the scenes. They would often come back after their talk. They'd come back to the booth. There may not be people there. They would interact with their staff and and volunteers to some degree, and I would just get to witness them kind of off the stage, and it really. Uh, bothered me to see some of them who had good messages. I'm sure they were good people, they're up on stage, they're very charismatic, they're connecting with people, and then off stage, man, they were not present. They were not real present. They weren't real connected to the people around them. They were kind of in their own world. And now I look back and go, my gosh, you know, when you're there and you're speaking to thousands of people and you're on deck, what a nervous thing. They probably had a lot going on. They'd prepared for it. They probably, you know, flew long flights on the red eye and dealing with jet lag. They had a lot to deal with. It probably was not a fair assertion. However, they had to stack up to Zig. And whatever happened to him, he connected. And I remember a couple of times of just getting his face-to-face interaction It probably wasn't more than a, Hey, hello, young man. Thanks for helping out. Uh, and I really felt like he cared. And of course, then I saw him go around and connect with other people that is always stuck in my craw Tom, because I am often afraid that I can come off as that other person, charismatic on stage speaking, whatever, but person to person, he's, you know, disengaged, awkward, whatever people might say. And it sticks in there. Cause again, I have to make that effort to really uh, be present, get out of my thoughts, get out of my head, care about the person in front of me. And I want people to, this isn't shows it about me, but those who are out there who may not be the most outgoing, like my wife naturally is that they have to work at it. And I don't know, you talk about your Zig, uh, about about your dad's Zig and your mom, were they just authentically that were they
2: decidedly that did they grow into that? You know, I, I'm going to talk a little bit and I'm going to practice something I learned from dad uh, in an illustration in just a second. But um, I was I was having this conversation yesterday specifically around speakers and I was talking to another speaker and about how uh, uptight you can get, how flustered you can get. Uh, you know, if the PowerPoint's not right or the schedule's a little off or they want you to add 10 minutes or take off five minutes. Um, And then in those big events, I mean, these speakers who come in, you know, they're shipping in a lot of product and a lot of books. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them, uh, their their income is going to be based on how well they do on stage. Right. I mean, it's, it's not just a fee. It's it's how well we do. And I, and I, and I told him and I said, well, you know, everything changed for me when I took on this mindset and I really got it from dad. Uh, once, once I got beyond rookie. Okay. <laughs> so, cause when you're a rookie, everything's a, a big deal, right? Cause it's, it's unfamiliar. You're not there. Yeah. When I finally got to the point that nothing mattered except for the people in the room, yeah. right? The glitch didn't matter. The PowerPoint not working didn't matter. You know, starting early, starting late didn't matter. The temperature of the room didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was the people in the room. Well, then that gives you the ability to be present. And so a lot of uh, people have the, the big issue, which is their ego, that, Hey, this is a big deal. You know, I'm the reason everybody's here. I've got to perform. I'm the big deal. You know, what's funny is dad never complained once about who was in the room. His only question is what can I do to reach them better? So it didn't matter whether they're 18 year old high school graduates or, you know, business professionals or construction workers. It didn't, didn't matter. It's it it was never, it was never, uh, they should, adapt to him, it was, how can he adapt to them? Right. Right. So that mindset, now here's a, here's an illustration. And and so here's the one lesson I learned from dad. Like if somebody said, what was Zig Ziglar's number one secret? His secret was every day for a couple hours, he would learn something new, internalize, simplify it so that he could share it with somebody else for their benefit. Right. And so my challenge to everybody listening is just take five minutes a day, learn something new, internalize, simplify, and then share it with someone else for their benefit, right? That'll change your life. You do that every day for a year, you will be a completely different human being at the end of the year. So I'm going to give you something that I learned two days ago to demonstrate so I can fulfill my obligation and my habit that I'm ingraining into me.
0: You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode on how we treat people being more about our personal benefit even than theirs. So next, Tom shares something he learned regarding his personal health and wellness in an effort to, of course, benefit us, but also to do, as he just said, further teach himself. So we'll resume right after I share some great products and services with you. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Thankfully, the days of building a business website then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out You all know I greatly value and pursue my health and wellness, and I'm always looking for better products and resources. Nutritional supplements are a staple for me, and a must is a probiotic to support my gut health and function. A probiotic is something I've taken each and every day for the long-term cumulative benefits In just two little capsules a day. Taking seeds, DSO1 symbiotic, and avoiding the foods I know my body is sensitive to has taken me from constant digestive problems to almost none. I trust seeds clinical trials and breakthrough research that's been published in top scientific journals. You can entrust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash drive and use code 25 drive to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash drive code 25 drive.
2: So I'm listening to uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, and she says that if we have the most nutritious salad in the world, it's a kale salad. It's organically grown. It's got organic vegetables in it. The salad dressing is organic. I mean, everything is, you know, as good as it gets, it's locally grown. I mean, it was picked five minutes ago. If and it's nutritionally dense. Okay. It is like the most nutritious thing you could put in your mouth. If you eat it with the, <clears throat> excuse me, if you eat it with the wrong mindset, you will only get 20% of the nutrition out of it. Wow. So think about this. If you are under stress, you have anxiety, you're worrying, you have fear, you've got depression, you're only gonna get 20% of the nutrition out of that food. And that's crazy. Well, why does that work? Well, it's because all of those things that I just mentioned impact our, our chemicals in our brain, our hormones, all the our, our, our systems, which inhibit the absorption and the nutrition and kills the gut, digestive health and everything else. So what does nutrition from a food perspective mean? It means that we've got to have the right peace of mind, the right mindset while we're eating it, and we've got to have the right food yeah. and so when we're when we're uh with other people, we've got to have the right mindset of that's a child of God standing in front of me, and we've got to have the right food, which is we've got to have a plan in place of hey Kevin, how's it going? How's the day?' Hey, I really appreciate your smile. Thanks for helping me be blessed. I mean, we've got to have the food or what we're going to do. If we're a speaker, we got to have the right mindset about the room before we get there. Hey, I'm here for them, right? If they want to go off on a tangent, I'm going off on a tangent, right? But then we got to have the content too. Yeah. Right. So if we want great health, (laughs) we got to have the right mindset when we eat the food, and then we got to eat the right food. And so I just thought it was such a parallel to almost everything that we do. And the big deal is if I get the right mindset, the right food will show up. That's a great perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, um, well, and there's, there's the whole, there's the circle of life right there, the circle of successful life. And I appreciate you sharing that. And folks, if you want to hear more on what he's talking about digestion wise and, and whatnot with even the food, the health standpoint there, you can check out, uh, Tom Ziegler's doctor, Dr. Randy James, who's, uh, he's the pro he's the pro and he's my, uh, my partner co-host in the true life show. Where we talk about that.
2: I know he's got me studying for my next blood test. So. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I, and I,
0: I, I want to mention there. Yeah. That with all the perfect things, great things I was doing in my health, that is what they came down to, uh, with me as far as digestion and some IBS issues. I said, Kevin, you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta meditate, you know, people you know hear that wrong, but you've got to stop, be still calm down at least once a day, because you just tend to run high and that's habitual part of it's my nature part of it's the habit that I've gotten into you run high. Give yourself a chance stop. And he said, you'd be best off to do that. Even if it's five minutes, chill out before you eat. And then when you eat, eat, sit down, be present, think about it, taste it,
2: go slow. Yeah. So here's a, uh, so Dr. Leaf said that when she is under stress or things are going on, she won't eat. She just doesn't eat. That's great. She knows it's not going to benefit her. And so, so she consciously works on getting in that state. So then because of Rabbi Daniel Lappin and my interest in, in uh, Jewish tradition and Orthodox Ju- uh, Judaism. Uh, I th- I, and, I, and so if I'm wrong, let me know privately, uh, somebody out there who who's, has a lot more knowledge. But in Orthodox tradition, I believe that you only eat sitting down. Mm. It's like a law. It's one of the laws. And so the reason for the law is this. The reason for the law is one of God's creatures sacrificed their life so that you might live. And out of respect and gratitude, we would only eat sitting down. Now, think about the mental state of being grateful and humble and appreciative and taking time to reflect before you eat and how that's going to change the digestion and the absorption of the nutrients. It's, it's like, a, just an amazing thing. It looks like a, a technical golly, that's just another thing I got to do. And in the reality, your health depends on it.
0: Well, I, I'm <laughs> grateful that you're pulling that out, Tom, because it's, people don't, it's like trying to drink a glass of water while you're running or walking. You can't, even if you're going off the hall ho- along the hallway, you got to stop. To take that drink of water, you're going to slosh it all over the place. If you think about the same thing. Don't eat when you're driving, while you're working, while you're standing. You've got to sit down. And then, of course, being present, actually noticing what you're eating, tasting it, chewing adequately. That's part of the digestion. Man, you're yeah, for those of you who want to get a bigger bang out of your food, but it's, it's not common sense. Yeah.
2: It's- so the number one organ in your digestive system is your brain. Um.
0: Again, new territory for most everybody. You know, I follow this too. I I like what you said about Dr. Leaf. You know, she doesn't eat unless she's going to sit down. If she doesn't, she just doesn't eat. Uh, I've always done that with showering can't shower unless I work out. So man, a couple days go by, <laughs> my kids will hear me or my <laughs> wife will. I've got to go work out cause I got to shower bad. Uh, so, so there you go. Uh, and it was somebody, gosh, who's the old guy, a uh, Jack LaLanne, Jack LaLanne. He was famous for, famous for answering the question. Hey, is it okay to some days not work out? And he'd say, sure. Just on those days, don't eat. And that cured most people, of course. Uh, Well, here's a couple that that are close to home for like a lot of us and relate to each other so much. She says, "Something I struggle with, but continue to work on, is when someone close to me lies." Or is deceptive? I often take it personally at first. Any suggestions for a clearer perspective would be appreciated. Uh, but then right after uh, that also, Kristen, she says, yes, my mother I struggle with. I usually feel like the parent, it's very tiring. I often have to, have to disconnect uh, from her to regain my peace. So here's a couple where we're talking about these are you know these are intimate relationships where you're actually engaged with someone probably someone you know in Kristen's case a mother and Soma's case Uh, It may be, uh, you know, someone in her life that has, you know, she's engaged with who has lied or been deceptive. And this is where I think the rubber hits the road a lot with this, with how we treat. It's, you know, one thing to where we started off with treat people who we just come into contact with, try to be kind. But now we're talking about the person who is intentionally, well, intentionally is probably a hard word, but they are actively not being kind to you. Um, I'm grateful that doesn't happen a lot in my life, but I understand that to when you have somebody you have a disagreement with somebody who is really looking out for themselves. They're not interested in the justice between you two, um, or, you know, whatever reason, and you feel wronged, you feel offended. That is, I mean, Tom, we know, man, when it comes to relational health and our own spirit, uh, this is where it gets difficult and you get into the big issues of forgiveness, the big issues of grace. And I want to just lead off this aspect here with that aspect of grace. It's the one that I struggle with the most, probably overall. It's the one that I hear other people struggling with because it feels like to give grace to that person who is in our mind and probably very well, you know, in reality is being unkind being, uh, I don't know if we want to say wrong, but they are not being, uh, you know, they're not helping the situation out here. To just give them grace, the struggle with, is, with that is, is that going to enable them to continue acting in this way that is hurting me? And we're, we're in a big medicine now, deep water uh, on that one right there. The part that comes out to me, though, that, that has been my guiding light ever since we talked with her, Tom, Shanti Feldon, uh, the author of the 30-Day Kindness Challenge, is regardless of the relationship with that person even. And what's going on there is what am I going to do to myself? Am I going to allow myself to go down this toxic road, whether it's justified or not, and to be upset, to be angry, to be bitter, to be resentful, to be unforgiving, and let that infect and poison me or not. Now you still got to deal with the situation and we're going to come into the, you know, the issue of boundaries and things like that. But now I'm, and this sounds self-focused, but of course, uh, you know, being kind, like in Shanti's, uh, uh perspective, of course, that's the best thing you could do for the other person, but let's just start with ourselves. What do we do there? And Tom, I don't know if you've had, I think you've, you've been blessed as I have to, to maybe not have a whole lot of really toxic relationships or people who were literally outright unkind to you, but I'm sure you've come into contact with it. People you disagreed with, or you're working with other people and they're dealing with that as well. And addressing, I, I had never until recent years really looked at it as, okay, what am I going to do for the health of myself? Or what is that person who's dealing with this going to do for the health of themselves? superseding some degree or, or sequentially coming before even the relationship
2: thoughts. This, this is a deep subject. I know. So th- th- there's a couple of things here. Um, one of them is a new habit that I started about three months ago. And so when, in, when any, somebody, whenever somebody is unkind to me, aggressive, um, running me down, uh, calling me something, you know, it could be a troll on the internet that I have no clue of, or it could be, you know, an abusive approach, you know, almost like a bullying approach or whatever in a, in a, in a interaction. My first thought is this. And so for everybody who wants to have this, this is a great, uh, this is a mental ninja technique. Hmm. Would a secure person do that? That's a convicting line, and so when somebody's coming across, the answer is no. Okay, a secure person wouldn't do that. So now my attitude, my 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 mental state starts to think, oh, that's what a shame. This isn't a, a secure person, right? And so then that means that because they're insecure, what they're coming at me with has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them. So that allows me to not take it personally. It's not about me, it's about them. They're insecure, this is about them. Now, from that point forward, uh, there's all, it's it's easy, right? So you meet a stranger and you bump into each other at Starbucks and they attack you. Yeah, they're insecure, it's not about me, we walk away. Well, (laughs) it's somebody who we grew up with in the same house with the same last name. And they're coming at me again. We've got history, right? We've got, mm-hmm. and so it's harder. Mm-hmm. And so then you have to learn, okay, you've got to change the mindset. Who am I? Where's my identity? And when our as a believer, when my identity is in Christ and that's, that's, you know, I am who he said I am and that person's insecure then I have confidence, right? I, I can do that. So then i learn something new. So we're repeating Dr. Leaf again and hopefully we can get her on the show. Yeah. Um, but she's she talks a lot about um, quantum and quantum physics and, and energy and, and the way we're wired. And quantum has no time or space, right? It's, it's, it's all at the same, you know, the past, the present, the future, it's all existing in one place. So I, you know, so I try to understand that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of simple. You know, I need more help than that. Well, this is what she talks about forgiveness. There's a thing called entanglement and in quantum entanglement just means that everybody we've ever come across with we're entangled, right? Our, our, our conversation, our emotion, our, our feelings, all, all of that is entangled. And the, the challenge is, is that people who have hurt us intentionally, unintentionally, every time we think of them, it's like they're right in front of us again, saying the same thing. And so the brain waves and scans that they do, well, actually, it'll heighten just like it happened there. And so the, the thing that allows you to disentangle is forgiveness. So we are literally taking away the power of that person to impact you when you forgive now you're not forgiving them as if they did you know as if uh, they didn't do anything wrong (laughs) you're forgiving them to shut off and cut the uh entanglement and so what i think about is and i've actually got a picture on my uh
0: Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So my book and this podcast are named What Drives You. And what drives us to great things is our own values, our known values. When we go astray, it's because we've lost sight of our values. Therapy is key for helping you clarify what matters most to you so you can do more of it. I was late to taking advantage of therapy. It was only for crisis, but now myself and most of the rock stars I have on my show get therapy regularly. For most people, the main hurdle is starting therapy,
2: on my board, I'm looking at it and it's got a tree and above ground of the tree is all the fruit of our life. You know, the, the reputation we have, the things that people see about us and beneath the ground are the roots. And so we teach that a tree's fruitfulness depends on its rootfulness. So we've got to nourish the roots. Well, at Ziegler, we say there's seven roots, mental, spiritual, physical, family, financial, and personal. So what's nourishing those roots? Well, they're nourished by habits, but let me just tell you something that Those roots are tapping into all this thing that's going on underneath. And two of the things they tap into are false beliefs and toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. And if we're tapped into and we have false belief or we have toxic relationships, it's going to damage the fruit. And so what we've got to do is we've got to sever that. Right. So how do we sever a false belief? We we replace it with the correct belief. And how do we sever a toxic relationship? There's a couple of ways. But removing yourself from the situation and forgiveness are the two that hang on the surface. So not that it's easy, not that it's necessarily simple, but there is a specific process you can do to do it. But I always start with that's an insecure person. It's not about me. It's about them. And then if it escalates even more, I'm like, Hey, you know, I know you're going through, th- through something. I'm really sorry about that. And then I leave. <laughs> so yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And there we get into the healthy boundaries. The The piece that really sticks out in my own mind in regards to this issue Uh, or it has more and more is just the, the age old scripture. uh, He who is, he he who is without sin cast the first stone. And most, I think uh, Christian folk will know that, but if you're not biblically, that's one of a, that's a really well-known verse in there. It's Jesus, and he's protecting someone that uh, the people are riled up against and going to stone, literally, and he that's his response. He doesn't address the issue. He just says, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone. And the people walk away. Now that's as far as stone throwing. Now, again, we're not, we still have, as Tom talked about, there are still times when you have boundaries and whatnot, but what I want to go back to again, the the other reality is the Shanti Felton aspect of my attitude towards this person is going to infect me that, and that, that to some degree is, it's not, I don't think it's narcissistic to look at that, but that is really the first step. Uh, If we can then take care of ourselves, then we can healthfully deal with that person. Even if it is to say, Hey, I'm so sorry, but I am going to remove myself from you or the relationship, or this needs to end, or it's getting yourself right because you happen to be in a spot where you can't get away from it. Like Kristen talked about with her mother. I don't know the story. I could make one up and say, maybe she has a mother that lives with her that's infirm or whatnot. And uh, she needs to take care of that. And that's not going to end. And she has to deal with that uh, person and their attitude long-term. And you've got a long-term issue to deal with and finding a way to get your heart right. Well, interestingly, as we're uh, discussing this, Tom got pulled away on a, uh, not, no, no big deal, just a little business uh, emergency he needed to attend to. But I want to do I want to do credit to just a couple more of the responses here. we got a lot of them. I can't get through all of them. But a few more just so that you can hear and relate to some other folks. Uh, Kent, uh, he says primarily his issue is this customers. It's a constant me versus them. It could, it could be that I need a 180 turn of attitude. Only I can control my reactions. And like Zig says, you treat people how you see them. And, you know, one thing that it thought it brought up for me, that aspect, because Kent has has commented before about struggles in his work. He's a business owner and struggling with his uh, people he works with. And I don't know that this is in relation to Kent. I don't know the exact specifics, but uh, I'm aware of in the workplace, how we so often do a good job. We may do a great job. We even may do an excellent job. I've known a lot of people over the years in service, businesses who say, look, whoever's washing your windows, cleaning your floors, building your deck, working on your car, whatever, you know, they may do a good job, but we are excellent. And, and they truly believe they are, and they may truly be. So if I go get my uh, car taken care of by somebody who does not just good work, but excellent work, or I get a deck built and they don't do uh, a good job, they do an excellent job, or I get my windows clean, whatever it may be. And somebody does an excellent job." The bummer reality is that what they did is really what I hoped and expected that they would do. I've never hired anybody and thought, you know, I hope they just do a mediocre job. Anybody I hire, even if I'm trying to be chintzy and not pay much, I'm really hoping they'll do a great job. So if they do a killer job, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to think that they're the next best thing since sliced bread and and shout their glories from the rooftop which then behooves you to go, what can I do to go the extra mile? And it's interesting. I've talked about, it. it's probably been a while, but we got a mechanic, we got a handful of mechanics in town. One of them, uh, you know, and if you go and get your transmission fixed, how do you know if somebody, if they did a good job and it works fine, if they did an excellent job and it really works, you can't even tell that much difference. So that's a hard one to stand out with a a lot. You know, of course there's the relationship and integrity and, and you hope they gave you a good deal and make you feel like it was a good price. Cause you often don't really know what it took. This place washes your car. That's it. Simple as that. They wash your car. What it's done is it spoiled me. And now if I get my car worked on anywhere else that maybe they do a better job, maybe they give me a better deal and they don't wash the car. I'm ticked off. Uh, even with my bike, uh, my mountain bike that I race and I take it into the shop and it's just a mess. I, I am a little bit amazed that man, here, here it is, whatever they did, the value is going to triple if they give it back to me washed, why? Because it, you know, is that big a deal to take five minutes and just wash off a dirty bike? No, but the perception of their value, I just did this to my wife's car. I took it and I got it. I took it and got it fixed for her. And just to increase the, the valor of my service to my wife, I did take her car to get it washed. What was she most uh, excited about? Well, when I brought it back, whatever was broken was just fixed. Well, great. Now it's just back to where she wanted it to be. Anyway, she was just bummed it wasn't. It, it had gotten less than perfect to begin with, but now I washed it. So she was just ecstatic that I and I had it washed inside and out. That's what she was excited about going above and beyond. So I just went out of kind of our relationship focus here, uh, to some degree, but we are talking about people. What can we do when we just do what's expected, then we have done what's expected. Even if we've done a great job at the expectation, what can we do to go above and beyond that? Now, again, I don't know if that relates to you, Kent, uh, but it's interesting. I know you were in the automobile business and I had a dad who did that. And he would often do things to go above and beyond helping the client, which in his case was usually the car dealer and helping them and go above and beyond what he was just supposed to and expected uh, to do. Well, here, here's a few more Thomas. He says, yes, everyone deserves to be treated with honor and respect, but it's exceptionally difficult to reciprocate that when they don't treat you the same. Amen. And I, again, so often we feel this, Natural inherent level of justice. And I'm sure most people like me have heard that in relationships you shouldn't keep score. I believe that. I also feel it is almost uh, impossible. In a marriage, for instance, and I have been married for 26 years and I've witnessed intimately a lot of other people in relationships. And it's very difficult, especially if you happen to be the one who is giving more or you feel like you're giving more to not want reciprocation. Uh, that's very hard. Again, almost in a marriage, especially you would almost feel like, well, what is the point? Of course, we have some self-serving uh, ideas. Of course, we want to be honored and respected for, for what we do and given to as well. Uh, For sure. But, uh, you know, honor and respect is what he said. Get that when we get the opposite of that. How are we responding? And there is no easy answer. It's very pithy and easy to see, hey, just take the high road and be the bigger person. But when this is, again, an intimate relationship, when it's one that's going to continue or it needs to continue, uh, this is where the rubber hits the road. Again, I keep using that term, but man, there's there's no more uh, acute spot in our lives generally than what we're talking about here. And the one, again, that I've mentioned it now that, that uh, haunts is a bad word, man, it burdens me. It sits on me is that whatever the reality or however I see the reality, whatever my belief may be, whatever the issue is, however hurt I may be and think I'm justified in that, that my attitude is hurting me more than anyone. It kind of goes back to, You know, Zig's aspect of yelling at the driver in front of you who cut you off or is going slow or whatever, and you're all in a tizzy, and they're up there just going about their life. So you're back here poisoning yourself, and they don't know anything different. They're happy as a lark, possibly. Uh, Of course, what you'd like to do is have them feel your pain, feel your disdain and make them suffer too, which then you just have two people in bed. That doesn't help you any. If we go back to those relationships, I've been aware of that even with, you know, the intimate relationships in my life, sometimes I'm the one here sitting in rot and infection and in poison. And the other person may not even, uh, understand or be bothered by what happened. And again, there's, this is such a deep topic. The point is how to fix every relationship. What we really want to look at is how the treatment of others affects us. And then as we started off the show, how our treatment of others reflects who we are. And there's some, I've seen a lot of quotes out there that, yeah, your response, how you respond to people says more about you than them. If you're in a place and you're criticizing somebody and you may not even feel like it. You're just sharing your pain. Let's try to take it to a healthy place. You're just sharing the the real pain that you have. And you want to, you you want to share it with somebody you want to get feedback. But as you do that, how you depict that person in a critical uh, aspect, especially really says more about who you are than it does say about who they are. And we just don't conceptualize it. We all, judge ourselves by our intent. We judge others by their action. And of course, they're sitting there judging themselves by their intent and us by our action. So some big perspectives here that uh, it does us well to all consider as we're looking at these. We'll hear just a couple more. I think you'll relate to these. Brian says, Kevin, this is such a great question. I look forward to this show. One person that I struggle mightily to demonstrate the golden rule to would be my former business partner and former friend. After years of, years of mutual respect, this person became extremely opinionated and at times verbally abusive. It led to me selling my share of our financial planning practice uh, to him. It was uh, The straw that broke the camel's back was an argument as to how we were going to move forward and working with our clients. And it finally did end our relationship and business partnership. And I didn't get near what I should have from the buyout. I lived with feelings of resentment that turned into anger at myself for feeling that way. I finally came to my senses and realized that I am in a much better place now with my own practice as an agency of a major financial services company, an agent of a major financial services company. I have much more to be thankful for, uh, from this learning experience and am thankful for the good years that we did have, uh, together. And, you know, there's a lot of people and I can count myself in there, uh, in some business relationships. Who have, And we can say in personal who had, it just ended badly. It ended badly, right or wrong, whether it was you or them, whatever, it just ended badly. We don't feel good about it. We don't really have a reconciliation. I think we want to see that just like a good movie uh, where there's some reconciliation between the people. And a lot of times that can't happen. We see people who are in bad straits with somebody who dies you know, a family member, and there's no reconciliation. So we have to come to that reconciliation ourselves. And in this case, Brian's talking about an aspect, at least, of his reconciliation is he's now realizes he's in a better place uh, in business. And so he's grateful that happened. But what if he wasn't? What if he was still suffering from that? Is it still possible to have reconciliation, to forgive that person, uh, to get past that? And, you know, one of those pieces with uh, forgiving that I think is often misleading is it doesn't mean that we forget it doesn't mean that we would do that again it doesn't mean that we won't learn and vow to not put ourselves in that position again i think that's okay that's healthy and that is mature and that's growth but still can we get uh, can we get past it and if we're not forgiving we have that again it's a biblical term but it's relevant to anyone we have a root in us of bitterness. And folks, I'm saying this because I understand it, a root of bitterness that sometimes feels like it is impossible to get past. uh, And yet we have to, if we are going to be whole. So again, if we, even if we look back just at ourselves for us to be whole, for us to be well, this is the, this is the reason counseling and therapy I think uh, to, for for some of us if not all of us is necessary is to make sure are we whole do we have any roots of bitterness and for every 10 people that I have heard say that they don't have any that they have gotten past whatever and that they have forgiven and I see fruit from their life that shows me that nine out of ten are incorrect and I just assume at this point that anyone who says that is kidding themselves. It's so rare to find somebody who is absolutely free of bitterness in their lives. And it's one that I have to think about. Obviously I do, uh, as we talk about this, these are things that I've, I've dealt with and I have dealt with difficult relationships in the past, difficult relationships. I still have where I feel uh, somebody has been unjust, unfair, unkind, It shouldn't go on. I want to right that wrong. I want justice. And yet uh, that's giving somebody else control and power over my life. How can I make sure that I am okay regardless? Dennis here says, Kevin, I think we all have triggers. A big one for me is work ethic. If someone isn't on their game, I can very easily start treating them poorly as a reaction. They could be the nicest person, but it triggers something in me that is almost like disgust. I'm sure it's very much related to my own hurts that have been buried under piles of success rather than being dealt with. Well, folks, uh, I read that one because the admission is I relate to that. I have my own weak and lazy and lame aspects in my own character and life but when it comes to work, when we're set to a, a, a work whether it's cutting wood or uh, you know starting a business uh, and running a business, that's a sore spot for me because one of my probably again overly done uh, self-image aspects is to outwork everybody. And so when somebody doesn't and I am upset to the point of it feels unjust. I have seen other people relate to that, this exact same issue in another way. Maybe people who are not tidy and are not organized. Uh, I've had people disgusted at me. How about if I say that? I have had people disgusted because I am not a tidy, a super tidy person, especially if I'm creating something, man, I can make a mess. Uh, I'm not, I'm incredibly unorganized. I've had kids of different personality types, my children who have been upset at my somewhat chaos or spontaneity where I'll just switch gears. My wife is one get her started on something and she'll just stay at it. And I am uh, more like a squirrel and I'll just, I'll go on to the next, the next thing. Um so I you know, I don't I don't know all the areas where we have where where it's important to us. This character trait, this specific skill set or ability or competence or awareness is so important to us. And when somebody doesn't have it, he uses the word disgust. That is a hard word. I understand that word. So if you use disgust, if you use the word disdain, if you use the word it burdens me or or whatnot, I think a lot of us can again, relate to that. Okay, I'm going to do one more because uh, I think this is the only one, and uh, surprisingly, that was on, um, I think it's, is, is it a married or is it a close relationships? Uh, she says, I think it's more than I, Elizabeth, more that I struggle to know how to, oh, this is a friend, to, to tr- how to treat them the way they want to be treated. Uh, I think most people are aware of the Gary Chapman Five Love Languages book about how people receive love. Well, this is another aspect of that. And she references, Elizabeth does the anagram test. She says, my friend is an anagram too. And her greatest struggle is wanting someone to intuitively help her the way she intuitively helps others. That's not how I want to be treated, but it is how she wants to be treated. And intuitively knowing what everyone needs is not a gift I possess. So when I'm hurting, I typically would prefer to be left alone to figure it out myself. When she's hurting, she wants someone to recognize the depth of her pain and come sit with her in it. She's going through a major transition right now. And if I treated her the way I want to be treated, I would be abandoning her. You know, folks, this show is not about me, but as any podcast, it's led by a personality and I am your representative personality here. And I got to just tell you, that is myself and my wife. And that has been a source of, that is always a bit of a, of an issue because when she is hurting it is so unnatural for me to meet her in the way she wants to be taken care of which just like elizabeth said is to be uh is to be met to recognize the depth of her pain to empathize sympathize and come sit with her in it because when i am in pain i am absolutely and she knows it i want to go away and figure myself out maybe sitting under a tree or sitting somewhere alone maybe with my bible my journal maybe with nothing and I just I got and I've told her before I've, just, I've got to get I got to get my head back on straight just just give me a little time no right or wrong in either of those but you have two dissimilar people this is like the guy's book what women are from Mars men are from Venus but we could say that uh, amongst all personalities there's there's these personalities and these personalities and we don't understand each other the best thing to do is understand each other and I'll tell you one of the things that I have learned in that is that we can't be all things to all people let's take my my wife and I for instance we are in a place, here's a little, a little, uh, soapbox on marriage. We're in a place these days where we have less intimate relationships. We know that culturally. And so those of us who are married, that can often be the intimate relationship, the one and only re- intimate relationship. And by proxy, you can often end up looking at that person for, uh, look, looking at to them for everything, they need to be your confidant. They need to be your best friend, your best boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. They need to be your mentor, your, your coach, your cheerleader, everything. I do not see evidence anywhere, biblically or otherwise, of that being what a marriage is supposed to be. Kind of back to that. It takes a village to raise a child. I think it takes a village to meet any the needs of any relationship. And there are things that I go through that my wife is not only not equipped to deal with, I don't think that was ever supposed to be her job. Uh, I, I have close guy friends that, uh, that I need to go to for those things. My wife will never ever understand fully what it's like to be a man. It's impossible. I can never understand what it's like to be a woman. We can try, sounds sweet and sounds kind, but is that really the point of what we're supposed to do to be able to understand every person out there? I, I'm not sure that I believe that. Maybe I have sympathy, empathy, some understanding, but to really be able to meet her at the depth of womanhood, how about being a mother? I can hear all she's talking about. I have no idea. And I never will understand what it's like to grow a child in me, even though I've intimately walked through that with her, but I don't know that. And so there's aspects of her as a human, as a woman, as a mother. You can look at other roles, other aspects that I don't believe that I am intended to meet the complete needs of and be everything for her. And likewise, her, for me, that's why we have parents. That's why we have mentors. That's why we have Best friends. That's why we have kids even to some degree can fulfill, you know, some some areas of relationship for us, of course, Uh, that we are supposed to have community and that fills it. Then I only need my wife to fulfill a special area of life because, folks, I know a lot of people who are single. Does that mean that they are unwhole? With, or, or that they have to go find one person to fill everything. I think they do a better job of finding multiple people in their life. Hopefully if they're going to be healthy, the ones I have, uh, have done a good job of that finding those people in their life to fulfill those things. And then when they do get married, they find a special relationship there that fulfills some needs that weren't fulfilled outside of marriage and do have a depth, of course, a depth and an intimacy and, and maybe a level of vulnerability, that you'd share with few, if any other people, but still going back to, should we be all things? For all people, So back to Elizabeth and her friend, of course, they want to be, you know, close friends, but I would hope that they both have other friends and that that friend can find someone and she knows that, man, here's somebody uh, that, that does understand me. They're a great person to go to when I'm really at my depth because Elizabeth is not the best one. She doesn't understand me. And likewise, I don't understand how to serve her. But there are some other places where we do come together and we're great at adventuring together because we share a similar vein in that or whatever it may be. Uh, Again, I think a really good call to multiple relationships in our lives. Well, folks, this is a big topic. I hope we did some justice to some aspects of it. And I know I, for one, on some of these overlying umbrella thoughts, or I should say foundational thoughts that Tom talked about, that I'm sharing that have been brought to me, will stick with you on what the treatment of others does to ourselves, what it says about who we are, uh, both aspects, incredibly, incredibly powerful in our lives. I am sure that this show has all of us considering how we treat people, regardless of their role or what we think they deserve. Treating people with grace and respect gives the greatest gift, again, to ourselves, to our own peace and joy. And of course, it's the straightest path to lifting people up instead of shooting them down. Uh, Thanks, as always, to everyone who responded and made this such a rich show. Coming up in episode 757, Act Like a Professional. Because you are, yet you may very well be acting like an amateur and therefore getting amateur playtime pay and rewards. And it's just a disservice to yourself and the world. Why have we created such a gap between so-called blue and white collar working world and celebrity entertainers and athletes who are what we think of as pros? And I fear it's because we have been unwillingly lulled into a spectator instead of participant mentality. And for most of you hearing this, however, by definition, uh, you are a true professional, but you're not acting or living like it. Uh, No motivation or inspiration is going to change that belief alone will change it. And regardless of your income level, for instance, if $10 million appeared in your bank account, your belief in your level of financial stability and peace would change. If you completed an IQ test and found out you scored over 160, which is genius level, you would believe differently about yourself. So listen in, I'm going to change or at least challenge your belief about yourself in regards to your work and being a pro, or I'm at least going to valiantly attempt to get you to accept the truth. Well, till then folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.